0: 15 though, Psalm 15, I feel like this is a a real timely word for us this morning, I feel like the Lord gave me something for us, so just uh, hang with me this morning if you can. Let's read Psalm 15. It's a Psalm of David, verse 1. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary, who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts. Who lends money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. It's a good word, isn't it? I Man, I really love this passage. It has awesome promise in it. Do you guys catch the promise? Did y'all catch it? David says, never be shaken. And I love that word never, it's so permanent, you know? And it kind of it ranks right up there with some of the other great uh, promises in the Bible. There, there's, you know, there's promises through the Bible, and then there's three or four that like, you can bank on. And this is one of them that you can bank on. It's kind of in the vein of, uh, of what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13 when he says, Love never fails. You know? People fail. You know, jobs fail. Families fail. But love never fails. And, and so here we have David, and he's telling us, you do these things, you'll never be shaken. And so what I want to talk to you today about is I want to talk to you about the kind of life that's shake proof. It's a shake-proof life. And in case you didn't know it, um, some of the we're living in days where you where you need an unshakable life. In case you didn't know it, I was, on, I was on the internet this week and I was looking at the United States Bureau, Bureau is such a hard word to say, the United States Bureau of Labor. And I was just checking out some stats for like, you know, unemployment and whatnot. And in February alone, America shed 651,000 jobs. That's in February alone. And so what happened is unemployment went from 7.6% in America to 8.1%. Things are shaking, and then I went and I checked out Kentucky, and what I found out about Kentucky was that unemployment in Kentucky is actually higher than the national average. Unemployment in Kentucky is 8.7%, and so what I want to tell you is we're living in like shaking times. Some stuff's going down. People are getting freaked out, and really I want us to look at the the scripture and the word here today, and I want us to see that it's possible to live a life that's shake-proof. Hey, can somebody tell those guys out there to be quiet? They're they're driving me bonkers. It's driving me crazy. I can't deal. See, I'm not as talented as some preachers, you know. My focus is whack. Yeah, so uh, what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at how to have a shake-proof life. Because here's the deal. The kingdom of heaven is ultimately... This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, 28 rather. It says, therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. And so, you know, here's the deal. When you met the Lord, what you met was you met an unshakable person and what he has is an unshakable kingdom. And to the extent that we enter into that, we have a life that's unshakable. And so I want to give you two really simple keys for living an unshakable life. Two keys from the scripture here. The first key is that we must have a love for the presence of God. We must have a love for the presence of God. We talk about the presence of God all the time around here. It's, we're, we're, like, we're what I like to call, we're presence people. I can't hardly preach a message without bringing up the, the value that we have for the presence of God. Not just, not a theological value. We've, we we want to have a theological value of, for the presence. But more than that, we want to have, we want to pass theory and we want to have an experience with the actual, tangible presence of God. So, you know, that, and having a love for the presence of God is, is one of the keys for entering into an unshakable life. Look at what David says. It's verse 1. David, he's writing a song here. And he says, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary and who may live on your holy hill? And that word that's translated sanctuary, that word means tabernacle. So David is saying, Lord, who may dwell in your tabernacle? And do y'all remember tabernacle of Moses? Do y'all remember what happens in the tabernacle of Moses? We preached about this a, a couple, three, four, or five weeks ago. It's in Exodus 33. Moses would go out, when he, at that time, he called it the tent of meeting. He'd go to the tent of meeting, and as soon as Moses would go in, Cloud would come out of heaven, would form around the tent. Everyone would come out of their tents, and they would, they would go, and they'd watch Moses while he was in there. And this is what the Bible says about that time when Moses would go into the tent of meeting. This cloud would come down, and it says, it says this. It says that Moses and God, they would speak to one another like friends, and that God would speak to Moses face to face. So David is saying, man, Lord, who can dwell in your tabernacle? And when David says, Lord, who can dwell in your tabernacle? What he's really saying is, God, who can dwell in your presence? And so when he's asking this question, God, who can dwell in your presence? He's, he's showing his hand, he's tipping his hand, and he's saying, God, I want to dwell in your presence. And so living an unshakable life, one of the first key aspects to living an unshakable life is having a love for the presence of God. But David doesn't, start there, doesn't stop there. Rather, He goes on, and he asks another question. He says, Lord, who may live on your holy hill? And so verse 1, is, 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 it's an example of, um, yeah. there we go, Psalm, 20, Psalm 15. So verse 1, it says, David says, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary, who may live on your holy hill? And this is an example of, of something uh, in Hebrew poetry called parallelism. And what it means is this, that the writer will take two lines and say the same thing in two lines. And so David is saying, Lord, who may dwell in your tabernacle? Who can live on your holy hill? And so, these, are, in some ways, David is, is in, with different language, communicating the idea. But it's not just parallelism. He's going one step further in his second question. And he's, and he's asking something about permanence. Because in verse 1, when David says, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? That word dwell right there, that's the word for sojourn. And sojourn means visit. Lord, who can visit your tabernacle? Remember Moses? Moses didn't live there. He went and he visited the tabernacle. Presence would come. So David in first line says, God, who can visit your tabernacle? And then in second line he says, Lord, who can live on your holy hill? Do you see the progression there? He's saying, Lord, I, want to, I don't want to just visit you in your presence. I want to live in your presence. I want to enter your kingdom. And I want to be a citizen, of your, a citizen on your hill. So it's more, than good, it's more than good poetry. David's communicating his heart. I want to be surrounded by your presence. It reminds, me of, it reminds me of Psalm 84. Psalm 84 is one of those famous psalms that we sing a lot. There's a lot of worship songs on Psalm 84. And Psalm 84 was written by the sons of Korah, and this is what the sons of Korah said. They said this in Psalm 84, the first couple of verses. Lord, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, it even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. You see, there's just something about the presence of God. There's something about the tangible reality that God is with us. And church, this is, our, this is our number one goal. This is our number one goal to encounter the presence of God. It's our number one value. It's, it's the number one thing that takes a person from being shaky and, and placing them into a and placing them into the reality that's unshakable. Having an experience with the presence of God. So number one, the first key is having a love, and not just a love, but having an experience with the presence of God. Number two. Number two. Righteousness matters. Righteousness matters. This is one of those great psalms that it just kind of interprets itself. Verse 1, David says, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary and who can live on your holy hill? This is is, is his heart crying out. He's saying, God, I want to be in your presence. Who can be in your presence? Verse 2, here comes the answer. He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous. So here's the deal. The way that we take up residence in the house of God is by walking blamelessly. And this is another example of of that parallelism in Hebrew poetry. He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous. To do what is righteous is to live and to walk the blameless life. But before we get too much further into it, I want to I want to knock some of the knock some of the religious rust that, that kind of attaches itself to certain kind of like biblical concepts and biblical words. And and you know that word up there, that word righteous, that's that's a pretty rusty word. We we hear it a lot, but the only place you hear it is in church. It's there's really not a there's really not a social context for for the word righteous. You know, when you're, when you're hanging out with your friends, the word righteous doesn't come up that often. We, we don't use it in conversation that much. I, I was beating my brains out this week trying to come up with some sort of contemporary example of, of righteous. And, and the only thing I could think of, and maybe Sam, you'll remember this too. The only thing I can remember, the only time I can remember people using righteous outside of church is like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from like <laughs> the mid-80s, you know? And, and usually those guys would say, you know, righteous dude, you know? it's like, Here's the, here's the problem with, with that example. It gives us no insight to what righteousness actually is. So We've got to knock some of the rust off of that. Here's what righteous means. Righteous means, it means right ways. It means, it means right wise. It means straight. And here's the other thing about righteousness. It's always connected to relationship. Always. Righteousness is always connected to relationship. So if we're going to knock some of the rust off of that word, a, a way we might think about uh, righteousness is this. Righteousness is right relationships. Right relationships. And it's always about having right relationships with God and with each other. So David is saying, Who can dwell in your tabernacle? Who can live on your holy hill? Well, the one whose walk is blameless, and he who does what is righteous. Stands to reason that being in right relationship with God would be a natural precursor to living in His presence, right? Hard to live in His presence if we're not living in right relationship with God. So, the first first key... For living in an unshakable life is having a love and, and an experience for the presence of God. The second key is righteousness matters. And then, here's I love this because the Bible is so practical. You know, even, even after 2,500 years, David's words, they really speak to our current condition, even, even today, here in America. Let's look at how David, David express, expresses the blameless walk. It's at the end of verse 2. It says, if you're going to live in your tabernacle, you, you, it's the one whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous. And now David begins to tell us what the blameless walk and the, the righteous life looks like. He says, the man who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue. That, that little phrase there, speaks the truth from his heart. That's, that, that's uh, kind of the New Testament analog to that would be speaking the truth in love. See, righteousness first manifests itself in our life with the way we talk. And here's the, thing about, here's the thing about speaking the truth from your heart. Uh, sp- for it to be true, it needs to be wrapped in, in, in love, and it needs to be wrapped in sincerity. Uh, it's one of the reasons that, that anger and hatred is so damaging to the truth. Anger and hatred, are, 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 they stand in direct opposition to the truth. I mean, maybe you guys have experienced this, um, especially your you parents have. You've had kids, they're, they're bugging you, maybe they're doing bad things, and, and, you, and you speak to them, and maybe what you're telling them is true, but because it comes from a place of anger, it, it can't. They can't hear it, and furthermore, it actually it actually damages them and damages it damages them in the long run. I can't talk. Y'all experienced that. Maybe you had a dad who you know got on you, and maybe what he said was true, but the, but from the place that it came from, it, it it wasn't wrapped in the kindness and the affection that that truth truth demands. Truth needs to be wrapped in kindness and affection. There's just something about it. Truth. And love, truth, and sincerity, that place from the heart, they go together. So righteousness starts in the, it starts in the tongue, speaks the truth from his heart. And then David goes on and says, And no slander is on his tongue. Literally that phrase, no slander, means he's, you're, he's not a backbiter. The righteous man who, who lives the blameless life, he's not a backbiter. It gets even better. David says, who does his neighbor no wrong, and he casts no slur on his fellow man. I want you all to notice something here. We've got, this, we've got this progression here. David says, the righteous man, he speaks the truth from his heart, speech. The next one, he, uh, he's not a backbiter. He does right by his neighbor. And then what's the next one? He casts no slur on his fellow man. What's the one thing in there that's, that's kind, of, kind of out of place a little bit? It's this little phrase about the neighbor, isn't it? How many of y'all have ever had a neighbor? How many of y'all have ever realized that the first thing, that, the first battle line that comes, that, that gets drawn in neighbors is how we talk about one another? See, it, it, there's no accident that David writes, who has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong, and casts no slur on his fellow man. One of the first ways that we begin to wrong our neighbor, and if you've, if you've lived life at all, you, you already know this is true. One of the first ways that we'll be, we'll be tempted to, to move into an unrighteous place with our neighbor is always with our tongue. Let me tell you about a neighbor I had. It was a crazy one Heather and I had. We were living in Charlotte, and when we were living in Charlotte, we were living on the bottom floor of this apartment. And our first neighbors that lived above us were great. It was just like a single mom and a couple girls, and they were sweet and great, and they didn't make any noise, and they were awesome. We didn't even know they were there. One day they moved out, and because they were so quiet, I didn't even know they'd moved out. The, the way I knew they moved out is I was, I was sitting on my couch, and I was watching some, some TV. And so my TV's over here. I'm watching TV right here, but my couch is facing this way. And right here is like a big sliding glass door, huge one, and it goes out onto my patio. So I'm watching TV, but out of the corner of my eye, I see something falling onto my patio. I go, what the heck is falling on my patio? And I go out, and I open up the door, and I look, and there's all of my neighbors above me uh, sitting in a chair, and they're taking turns getting their hair cut, and their hair is just falling all over my patio and all over our stuff. (laughs) This is a true story. They cut about three or four heads of hair, and no one came down to clean it up. No one said, hey, sorry, nothing. It's my first clue. These neighbors. It got better. The longer we lived with these neighbors, the longer we lived with these neighbors, we found this. It, it, it was I say pattern, but there was really no pattern to it, except that it would happen, and there would be some some distance of time that was unknowable, and then it would happen again. We would be lying in bed. It would be two in the morning. I'm talking dead silent, every just dead to the world, asleep. You know, I'm out. And then suddenly, Heather and I would both be jarred awake to the thumping sounds of Travis Tritt coming from a bell. <laughs> and it would never happen at 11 o'clock at night. It would never happen at four in, the, 4 in the afternoon. It was 2 in the morning, and they would wake us up with, you know, God-awful Travis Tritt every <laughs> single time. It was, it was bizarre, and so... I've lived this scripture. I realize that when you have a neighbor, the first thing you want to do is that you want to, you want to slander him. You want to throw some slurs on him. And, you, and the last thing you want to do is you want to speak the truth from your heart to him. And so the first battle line when it comes to, to living righteousness and living blamelessly is it, 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 it's in our it's in our mouth and it's with our neighbor. Those closest to us. Y'all never forget that. Travis trip 2 in the morning. It's awesome. Then David goes on to say, the blameless man, he despises a vile man, but he honors those who fear the Lord. And, and, and right away we read that phrase, despises a vile man, and we go, wait, man. You know, something about our, you know, North American, democratic, egalitarian society thing kicks in and, you know, maybe we've read a little bit of the Bible and we go, hey, we're not supposed to despise anyone, we're supposed to love everyone, right? I mean, that's kind of what I was thinking, I'm like, despise them. David chooses these words and they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, the righteous man despises a vile man, but he honors those who fear the Lord. Here's what he's really getting at. David is really getting at this. There's this tendency to give honor to people who don't deserve honor and at the same time withhold it from people who deserve honor. Let me put let me say it like this. What David is really getting at is this. He, he he's talking about who we give, who we give the affections of our heart. He's talking about who who we will turn our our opinions over to. He he's talking about that part of us that's swayable by associations. He's talking about he's talking about where where does the affection, where does the affection of my heart go to? Where does that part of me that's swayable by association? My opinions. Where, who, who, who absorbs that? Is it a righteous man who follows the Lord and who has fear for the Lord? Or is it someone who, who's vile and just, you know, doing anything he wants? And, and I'll tell you, this is, this is a real struggle. And, and I could really get into meddling right here, but I won't. But I'll, so I'll just give you like a really, you know, benign, impotent example, okay? But hopefully the Holy Spirit will, you know, take this to the next level. You know, uh, how many of y'all ever watched The Apprentice? Donald Trump you know I mean at some point you've seen it even if you don't watch it anymore and and you think Donald Trump there's a guy this guy's got it going on and uh, I read a Donald Trump book one time and it was hilarious I laughed almost the whole way through it but one of the things I realized about Donald Trump is this this guy is insanely wealthy crazy wealthy and 100% godless over and over again in his book he says it doesn't matter what it takes to get ahead if you know stick the stick the man before he sticks you that's that's donald trump's philosophy in business and so people, people look at trump they see his towers they see his business they see his suits they see what he has and they go you know what they begin they begin to think man he must know how to live life and so there's a, there's a part there's a part of our character there's a part of our opinion there's a part of the way that we approach life especially some of us who are in business that that could be swayed by a man who's living life outside of the kingdom, and that's what David says. No, it's not going to happen. We're not going to let we're not going to let honor be placed upon someone who doesn't fear the Lord. We're going to let honor rest on those who honor the Lord. It's one. Of the, it's one. This is a key to living in righteousness. Now you can take that example and you can multiply that any way you want to. But here's a temptation that we have when we're when we're dealing with people. We we tend to overlook their shortcomings. We tend to overlook their, their, their um, and not, in, not from a place of grace either. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about you know, getting along. I'm talking about we tend to overlook people's uh, frailty and, and their lack of God and their lack, of, their lack of, of kingdom in their life based upon the things they have, how pretty they are, the influence they have, and it's not okay. David says we're going to give honor to those who fear the Lord. says the righteous kind of God despises a vile man but he honors those who fear the Lord. <clears throat> this next one's huge. He says this, the righteous man keeps his oath even when it hurts. And this is something that never happens in America. Hardly ever these days cuz why? Because we're contractual people. We take out there's a contract for everything. You keep your end of the bargain, I'll keep my end of the bargain. Doesn't matter what I've said to you. You know we're going to get it in writing, pal, and I'm going to do only what I've written down. Maybe you guys have experienced some of that. Righteousness doesn't do that. Righteousness goes way beyond that. Righteousness keeps our oath even when it hurts. Um, I, I worked for a guy who uh, had a landscape company, and this guy um, this guy was so righteous. He, he was so full of light and so full of Jesus. Uh, he had a con- he, he he was a really successful businessman. Really, really wealthy. Had influence all over the city we lived in when we were living in Charlotte. Uh, he was a millionaire several times over. He only worked with high-end, high-end people, you know, Bank of America executive types. And, uh, and uh, Tom, he, he, he always taught us. He says, you know, look, we're going to take out a contract, but here's why we're taking out a contract. We're not taking out a contract to protect us. We're taking out a contract to protect them, Adam. And he says, I want you to write the contract up and I want you to make sure that it's fair for them. And furthermore, Adam, when we're done with the job, I want, to make, I want you to make sure that every single time we've done more than you contractually agreed to. Every single time. He would, he would you know, after the job is done, we got the check, he says, Adam, did we do more than you said that we would do in the contract? See, that's what righteousness looks like. It also looks like this. One time we got on this job in, in Charlotte and it was downtown and it was, a, it was a really big job. I landed this contract. It was for nearly $100,000 and it wasn't for that much work. And it was for, for doing some irrigation stuff. The thing about doing irrigation work is it's, it's stuff in the ground, and you don't know what's in the ground. So you agree to do something not knowing what you're digging into. Well, we agreed to do something, and we start digging. And when you know it, we dig into some like, some water and electric mains and stuff. And I said, Tom, what are we going to do? This is going to cost us massive amounts of money. So we're going to eat it. That's what we're going to do. We told these people we do it for that amount of money, and we're going to do it. You know? That's what righteousness looks like. One of the things that goes on in America now is, you know, there's this concept that says, oh, I didn't know I was going to get into that, and so we have to go back and rewrite the contract. That's not the way it goes. We keep our oath even when it hurts. That's what righteousness looks like. It's getting heavy, it's getting quiet. Verse 5, the righteous man lends lends money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. There's another one of those words that's kind of foreign to us, usury. Usury means this. It means uh, taking interest. And in the Old Testament, uh, God, he told told the, the children of Israel, he says, I don't want you taking interest from one another. I don't want you making interest off one another. And he says, especially in, Le- in Leviticus chapter 25, the Lord tells him, he says, guys, especially for your brother who has fallen into poverty, I don't want you taking interest off of him. Now, here's the deal. I don't think the Lord is mad about taking a profit. I don't think the Lord is against, uh, is against interest. In fact, I can show you in the New Testament where he's okay with it. That's not my point. The point is this. The Lord is, a, the Lord is not for, and righteousness stands against, putting greed above justice. And, and we we live in a, we live in a time right now where 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 greed is running the show, and it's one of the reasons that we're in the economic crisis that we're in right now is because greed ha- has has eclipsed justice over and over again. That's how we got here. Greed eclipsed justice, and and so one of the things that righteousness right, check one of the things that righteousness tells us for people who are wanting to to live the blameless life, and for people who are wanting to. To, to become righteous before the Lord, and it really expressed that. Righteousness says this, it's not a good deal unless it's a good deal for everyone. And so some of us in here are businessmen, and I want to tell you right now, from the Lord, it's not a good deal unless it's a good deal for everyone. There's this concept that's throughout, uh, throughout business. I run into it a lot of times, even with Christian men. Who, and the, and, the, and, the, and the, uh, the thinking goes something like this, I'm going to get what's mine no matter what. And if he's an idiot, so be it. And I want to tell you from the Lord, that's not righteousness and it's not okay. It's only a good deal if it's a good deal for everyone. And one of the things that's going to happen, even in the next couple of years, there are going to be businessmen who rise up and they're actually going to prosper more than those who don't follow this line of thinking. And these businessmen are going to do are they going to uh, they're going to come into business agreements with people. And, and one, of the main, one of the main thrusts of these agreements is these businessmen are going to make sure that it's a good deal for the other person and not just for themselves. In fact, they're going to disclose to the other person when it's a bad deal for themselves. And the Lord's going to honor it. You watch and see. It's going to be one of the things that defines the next season of business. It, it's a man, who, a man or a woman who, who's in business with a great deal of righteousness and who, who, who says it's not, it can't just be about me. It can't just be a good deal for me. It has to be a good deal for you too. It's what righteousness does. Next thing I want you to notice is this, that there's been a progression in the psalm. There's a progression in this psalm. David says, Lord, who can dwell in your tabernacle? And what he's really saying is, Father, I, 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 wanted, I want to live in your presence. And then he says, the person who can live in your presence is the blameless and the righteous person. And then he says, the, then he begins to describe the blame, blameless and righteous person, and he does so with speech, right? Casts no slur, no slander on his tongue, speaks the truth from his heart, takes care of his neighbor. And then he speaks, look, there's a progression. Then the next level is, it's, it's matters of heart. It's where, it's where my opinion is swayed. Who do I honor? It's a matter of honor. And then by the time you get to the bottom, it's about injustice and injustice for the poor. And and what I I want to tell you is this, that even the progression is Holy Spirit-inspired. How many of you woke up this morning and said, can't wait till tomorrow, can't wait till Monday morning, can't wait till the beginning of the work week so I can go take it out on the poor guy? Can't wait to put my thumb on the poor people again. Anybody thinking like that? Can I tell you something? No one thinks like that at the beginning. What happens is, at the beginning, you just decide to let your tongue go and, and to beat my tamer up with my tongue. And then the next thing you know, the affections of my heart and the place that I put honor, it gets manipulated. And the next thing you know, I've become the kind of person who oppresses the poor. See, we're living in a season where righteousness and unrighteousness is being exposed, even today. What's going on, like, in our economy and in America right now? Righteousness and unrighteousness is being exposed. Um, this week, I was, reading a, I was reading an article in the Washington Post about the, the Bernie Madoff guy who, who stole $65 billion. It's, like a, it's an unbelievable number. I mean, they, they don't, they're not sure that that's the actual top end of the number. That's just what they've gotten to so, so far. So Bernie Madoff, he, he develops this investment strategy. The whole thing is a sham. It's a Ponzi scheme. He's living, he's living the fat life off of people's, people's deposits into his non-account. And he's been doing this for years. And in, in, in doing so, he ends up stealing $65 billion from the American public. And you think, how does something like that happen? Well, I want to tell you this. Bernie Madoff, I almost get you, bet you, I know I don't know the man, so this is, this is part supposition on my part, but I've, I've met enough people and seen people fall enough times to know. I would be willing to bet you that Bernie Madoff, 25 years ago, wasn't a thief. I bet 25 years ago, Bernie Madoff was working the system, and got a manipulative spirit and began to manipulate people with his tongue. Then I bet, I, then I bet the honor, the place of his heart, the place where his affections were swayed. I bet he began to honor people who were getting ahead, irregardless of how they were living life. And when he began to do that, I bet something in his brain began to think, "Oh, it's okay. Those guys are doing it and getting ahead. Those guys are living in the penthouse in, in Manhattan and they're getting ahead." I'll go ahead and do that. I, I don't think he woke up one morning and said, I'm going to sham America. I don't think he did that. I think it started small. I think it started with, with manipulation and with working the system. and I think it started in his mouth and then it worked to his heart and then it got big. That's what I think. See, righteousness matters. There's a really strong connection between, between righteousness and experiencing the presence of God. Here's the other thing I'll tell you. If we, if we continually encounter the presence of God, the Lord, he'll bring up, he'll, he'll, cause to come, he'll cause things to come to the surface that he wants to deal with. You get in the presence of the Lord for a little while and pretty soon you, you go, wow, I didn't, I didn't know I was doing that. I didn't know I was unrighteous. I didn't know I was offending you, Lord. Things that, that had been buried for years. Just for an example I, I know this guy there's a guy I know and um this guy was a good guy um really loved the Lord and to the best of his ability, he you know tried to follow the Lord for a good while and um, came into a season of his life where he was really encountering the presence of the Lord and while he was in in just a season of just repeatedly encountering the presence of the lord been in you know he got into a place where he was was worshiping the Lord more than usual and got into the place where he was just being fed in the scripture and just he was in a community and just really encountering the Lord. And, and while, as this guy went into this maybe more intense season of encountering the presence of the Lord, he woke up one morning and he was reminded of a time when he had stole a bunch of money. And so this guy looks at his wife and says, I know this is a bad time, but I just, I, I'd totally forgotten about this, but when I was in high school, I stole a thousand bucks from my employer and I feel like I'm supposed to, uh, I feel, I'm, feel like I'm supposed to call him back and make it right. And, you know, the, the guy's wife is like, you know, pretty tore up about it. It's like, thousand dollars is a lot. And, but yeah, if it's what it means to make it right, let's do it. So, guy calls his boss up and says, look, you don't even know this, but when I worked for you when I was in high school, I took a thousand dollars from you. The guy's, uh, the guy's boss starts laughing at him says, why are you telling me this now? Are you an idiot? And the guy says, no, I just feel like from the Lord I'm supposed to pay you back if that's all right. And so I want to write you a check. And the guy says, sure, send it to me. Deal's over. See, righteousness matters. You get in the presence, things that, things that you would forgotten about come to the surface. Let me tell you the back, the back burner of that story. This guy's a really cool guy, by the way. He's all right now. <laughs> but um, the back burner on this story is this. That after the guy writes the check and sends it off, literally two days later, this guy is asleep in his house, and while he was asleep, he gets a phone call at six in the morning, and he goes and he picks up the phone. And on the other end, there's a song playing, and he keeps saying, "Hello." And there's nothing there, it's just a song. And and the lyrics of the song, they go something like this. The lyrics of the song, it's a vineyard song from uh, several years back. The lyrics of the song are like this. The, The lyrics are, your love reaches me. It's what I need. It's what I need. Guy hangs the phone up. Goes back to bed. Five minutes later, gets another phone call. Guy goes and answers the phone. Hello, hello. No one's there. Song is playing. Your love reaches me. It's what I need. It's what I need. Guy hangs the phone up. Goes back to bed. A third time, about three minutes later, phone rings again. The guy goes into the kitchen, picks up the phone. Hello? No one's there. Song is blaring louder than the previous two times. Your love reaches me. It's what I need. It's what I need. Finally, by the third time, the guy realizes, I think Jesus is calling me on the phone. (laughs) Man, the Lord's just good. He's just really good. There's something about being in the presence of God that, that will call us to a, a higher place in righteousness, and there's something about obedience that, just, that, that causes him to respond with more of his presence. Righteousness matters. Does it feel like a heavy load to you guys? Well, some of us may feel like this is a heavy load. Some of y'all may be thinking, man, Adam, you, it sounds like you're just preaching works to me. I mean, aren't I already righteous? I mean, I believe in Jesus. I'm righteous, right? Yeah, you are. Truth of the matter is, you are. Here's the good news. The good news goes something like this. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. You can put it up for us, Jessica. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify, this righteousness from God comes through faith in, in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You see, you see righteousness comes by faith. And, and most of us have, have made that exchange with the Lord. We've begun to trust the Lord. And in trusting the Lord, we've entered into righteousness. Not just entered into righteousness, but righteousness came on us. And, and we get the righteousness of Jesus. Go ahead, Jessica, put up the second one. This is one of those verses I just... This next one, Galatians. I, this is something I just I meditate on sometimes. Paul writes, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's look at Galatians 3.27. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. So here's the deal. When we, when, we, when, we begin to, when we begin to exercise faith toward God and toward His goodness, when we begin to exercise trust, uh, just like Abraham, God credits, to that, credits that to us as righteousness. And, and here's, the, here's the really awesome part, and it's in this verse. It's not just that you got baptized into Christ. It's that you got clothed with Christ. And so when the Father looks at you, He looks at you and He sees righteousness. And so what I'm talking about this morning is this. I'm not talking about working for something. I'm talking about working from something. See what I'm saying? And so this is how we can come to Psalm 15. And it can still be valuable and it can still be the word of God to us even in these days with Jesus. It's not that we're trying to work for something. It's that we're trying, it's that we're working from a place of righteousness. It's not that I'm it's not that I'm trying to be good enough to enter into the presence of God. It's that Jesus has made me good enough. I'm clothed with Christ. The Father calls me acceptable. The Father calls me more than acceptable. He calls me a son. And from that place of sonship, I'm working for something. I'm working with something. I'm working from something. I'm blameless. This is good news. It's good news for a couple reasons. It's good news because it's not even possible to live righteously without the blood of the Lamb smeared on the doorpost of your heart. It's good news because it's not possible. Maybe you all have tried it. It's not possible to live righteously without the blood of Jesus smeared on the doorpost of your heart. Can I tell you something else that's equally true? It should be equally true that it should should be impossible for us to not to not live a life that's continually more righteous because we have the blood of the Lamb smeared on our doorpost and we've been empowered and indwelled by the Holy Spirit. It's quieter. See, it's impossible It's impossible to enter into righteousness. It's impossible to live righteous. It's impossible to, to do righteousness without, without the, 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 the blood of Jesus smeared on the doorpost of your heart. The thing that's equally is impossible it's equally impossible to live unrighteous forever without Jesus. If Jesus is living in me, it just can't be that we continue on the same way that we are. It just can't be. James says that, first, that faith without works is dead. And Paul says that our faith has made us a slave to righteousness. That's, that's Romans chapter 6. And so what I want to tell you is this that, that these are days things are shaking right now, and I want to tell you right now, these are days of opportunity, and these are days, these are days to show, not just to not to not to not just you know to have a theory, but these are days to show and to show with our speech and with our actions the unshakable kingdom of heaven. These are the days to show it. These are days of opportunity. We're presence people. We're presence people. Let me tell you one more thing about this connection between righteousness and and the presence of God. One of the reasons... That slander is such an issue before the Lord. One of the, one of the reasons that the way we use our mouth about our neighbor is such an issue to the Lord is this. Um, it, it goes kind of like this. <clears throat> I've got faith. I've begun, trust, I've begun to trust God with my life. I've begun, I've begun to trust God that he's good and that, that his son was for me. And so I get baptized into Christ and I get clothed with Christ. Christ, he comes and he dwells in me. Colossians says that Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's he's not not just a, it's not not an idea, it's a reality. Jesus is on the inside. And so there's a room full of people, and I'm not the only one who's had this encounter with the Lord. Most of you guys have had this encounter too. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so when when we begin to speak poorly of one another, one of the things that happens is, I'm not just speaking about you, I'm beginning to speak about the redemptive work of Jesus in you. And, it's, and, and it's, so it's like, it's like this. It's like, how can I say, Father, I love you, but I hate your wife? You know? Jesus, I love you, but I hate your kids. And so that's one of the things that I feel like the Lord's really going to impress upon us. He's going to watch, watch the way that we, that, we, that we carry our speech out with one another because, because righteousness with our tongue, it, it even affects the, the degree to which we encounter the presence of God. Thank you, Judy. <laughs> I finally found it. Here we go. First John chapter 2, verse 9 says it like this: Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Man, I mean this is this is this is a time and, and a season of opportunity. And the first way to get our house in order is to, is to begin to, to say, Father, you live on the inside. Holy Spirit, you've empowered me. Holy Spirit, now would you empower me to have, to have, have authority over my own tongue and, and the words that come out of it? Because it affects the presence that we live in. First John says anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. First John also says, you know, look, if 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 you if you've uh, if you've walked into the light, you can't keep on sinning. There's something that empowers. So it's not that it's not that uh, it's not that righteousness is impossible now. It's that we've been empowered to do righteousness, and that's good news. Here's the other thing I've realized as well. It's easier it's easier to have a theory about the presence of God than it is to have an experience in the presence of God. It's also easier to have a theory about righteousness. It's easier to have, to have a theology of righteousness. It's easier to have a theology that says, I'm righteous and I'm blameless, than it is to show that you're righteous and blameless. And, and here's the deal. I've, I've, read the, I've read a good portion of this book. I, I can't say that I've read every word, but I've read a whole lot of it and some of it a lot of times. And one of the things I've never found in this book is I've never found where theory counts. Theory doesn't count. So we're living in a season right now where I want to tell you guys, church, this is a season of opportunity. Things are shaking right now. My heart tells me they're going to shake more. They're going to shake more. Things are going to, things are going to, things are going to get wild, but it's not a time for fear. It's a time to prove it. It's a time to prove it. See, here's the thing. Uh, one of the things I read, when I read, uh, when I read this week in the Washington Post, that last article about Bernie Madoff, one of the things I read in that is this, that unrighteousness is being exposed in America right now. It's only going to become more exposed in America these days. And so some things may become unwrapped. And I want to tell you, it's ultimately a good thing. It affects our economy. It's, it, you know, it puts people in, in hard spots. But I want to tell you, it's ultimately a good thing. Jesus said this. Jesus said that what you do in secret will get shouted from the rooftops. And that's what's happening right now. We're living in a time right now when what was done in secret, you know, just in his penthouse making calls, taking, taking, uh, taking numbers, taking money and putting out fake reports. Now it's getting shouted over the rooftops. And the bad part about this, I feel horrible. This guy's 75 years old and he's going to spend life in prison. It'll end a total failure, you know. Right now in America, unrighteousness is being exposed. And so I just, I want to call you guys. Look, right now it's a season of opportunity. It's a season of, to live righteously, not just, so, not just so that we don't fail. Here's the deal. In this season, I really feel like this from the Lord. It's not just that, that unrighteousness is going to be exposed and crumble. It's that righteousness is going to be exposed and it's going to be exalted. I mean, Proverbs says righteousness exalts a nation. We're, 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 we're transitioning to that kind of a deal. And ultimately, that's a good thing. Ultimately, that's a good thing. Here's another thing, too. about, about There's a lot of people who have been losing their jobs, and and, you know, there's some people who have lost their jobs because, because people higher up made really bad decisions and, and, and there are a lot of people who lost jobs because, because someone, you know, because of circumstances that were utterly out of their control. Here's, the, here's something else I want you to consider, church, um, as you go to work. There are going to be a lot of people who lose their jobs in these next, in these next months because things are, are tightening up a little bit. A lot of people are going to lose jobs and the first people who are going to lose their jobs are the people who perform the worst just want to throw that out there to you. Right now is the season to do your job well. Do it unto the Lord. I don't know if you can hear that or not. But, I mean, if anyone's going to get fired, let it not be a brother, you know. Let it not be someone who, who says Jesus is awesome. If, someone, if someone's going to lose their job because things are turning down, man, I tell you right now, it should be the church and it should be Christians who have solutions for this kind of thing that's going on right now. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be that the boss goes, ah, oh, the darn Christians, they don't do anything, get rid of them. They're always asking off, get rid of them. It should, be that, it should be that this is a season where the church is full of Joseph's and Daniel's and, and, and the, and the you know, unrighteous king looks and says, I, we cannot let Daniel go, no matter what, get me Daniel. Where's the dream interpreter guy? Get him. You know, That's the season that we're in right now, so it's a season of opportunity. Last thing before we're done. David says at the very end of there, he says, He who does these things will never be shaken. It's not the guy who has a theology about these things. It's a guy who does these things. It's the woman who does these things. It's not the person person who has the theory about these things. It's not the person who's memorized the scripture. It's the person who does these things. And I want to tell you all right now, this is a season of opportunity, and this is a season to do these things. Even, Even these things that we've outlined here. It's a season to make sure that our business deals are good deals for everyone. It's a season to, to encourage our neighbor with prophetic words. It's a season to it's a season to to be generous with the poor. Amen? Amen. All right, ministry team, come on up. Let's do it.